from the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. This is Francisco Macias at the Library of Congress. This September will mark the 13th year that book lovers of all ages will be gathering in Washington, D.C. to celebrate the written word at the Library of Congress National Book Festival. The festival, which is free and open to the public, will last two days this year, Saturday, September 21st, and Sunday, September 22nd, 2013. The festival will take place between 9th and 14th Streets on the National Mall, rain or shine. Hours will be from 10 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. on Saturday, the 21st, and from noon to 5.30 p.m. on Sunday, the 22nd. For more details, visit www.loc.gov bookfest. And now, it is my pleasure to introduce the award-winning Peruvian-born American writer and editor, Maria Rana, whose recently published work, Bolivar, American Liberator, is an astonishing story of a man who freed six countries from Spanish rule, traveling more than 75,000 miles on horseback to do so. His epic life features a catalog of battles fought in punishing terrain, where he forged uncertain coalitions of competing forces and races, lost his beautiful wife soon after they were married and never remarried. He died young, uncertain whether his achievements would endure. For this work, Arana draws upon a wealth of primary documents. She captures a singular snapshot of 19th century South America and the explosive encounters that helped revolutionize Bolivar and render him a stirring declaration of what it means to be South American. The daughter of a Peruvian father and an American mother, Maria Arana was born in Lima, Peru, and when she was nine, she moved to New Jersey. Arana is a former editor of the Washington Post Book World and is now a writer at large for that newspaper. Her work is bicultural, reflecting her life as both a U.S. and Peruvian citizen. Arana's memoir, American Chica, Two Worlds, One Childhood, was a finalist for the National Book Award in 2001. Her novels, Cellophane and Lima Nights, were published to critical acclaim. Truly, it is impossible to do justice and capture the depth and breadth of someone with such an extensive literary presence. So without further ado, Marie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Francisco. What a wonderful introduction. It's good to be here. Tell us a bit about your recent work, Bolivar, American Liberator. I found it interesting that this larger-than-life figure is so little known in the United States because as a Latin American... I took his notoriety for granted. Indeed. I think a lot of people know his name, but then stop short and really don't know the history. And I do really believe, Francisco, that to understand a people and a region, you really do have to know the history. I think everything that I've written has been an attempt to explain something about the Latin American character. And uh, whether it be novels or memoir or now this biography of Simon Bolivar, um, it's all meant to be a further step in explaining who we are and where we came from and why we are somewhat different from the uh, North American character. And uh, nothing tells us this more clearly than the history, especially the history of the wars of independence, which um, describe, I think in one book, in one shot, the biography of Bolivar, describes um, 
the colonial structure of mm-hmm. Spain and then the breaking away from that colonial structure sure. and then the um, what became of that incredibly violent and uh, incredibly costly mm-hmm. war and how Bolivar shone in, in all of it and then fell so drastically mm-hmm. from fame. Yeah, that, that seems like a, a recurring type of uh, pattern with a lot of the the heroes of that period. Indeed, mm-hmm. and I think it's sort of a pattern in, in Latin American history. There is the, you know, the the great uh, sort of dash of adventure, the great sort of uh, heroic pose and the heroic accomplishment. And then, uh, and as, as it has happened to so many, the taking on of dictatorial powers, the de- overreaching. And mm-hmm. Bolivar was really the model for that. And if you understand Bolivar, you mm-hmm. can really understand a great deal of the history thereafter. And I guess keeping in line with this epic momentum, as I was reading vignettes of your book, um, there were passages in which I felt like I was reading the life of a libertine, sort mm-hmm. of a, mm-hmm. a Don Juan. So tell me about how Bolivar developed for you as you told his story, because it seems intimate as well. Absolutely. It's a larger-than-life story, you know, quite apart from this sort of dashing adventurer who, as you say, traveled 75,000 miles on horseback. Now, that's like going from Alaska to the tip of South America in Tierra del Fuego five Mm -hmm. times back and forth on horseback. He outrode most of his young soldiers, you know, and he was always very strapping and very physically fit, even uh, doing great feats when he was not feeling so well because he died a very young man, as you know, of tuberculosis. But his his, um, soldiers called him iron ass for uh, that ability to stay in the saddle for so long. But um, apart from being an iron ass and a soldier, he was quite a romantic figure as well. He, as you said, lost his beautiful young wife when he was only 19 years old. Mm -hmm. He had married her in Spain. She was a Venezuelan extraction. And when he brought her back to Caracas, she died of yellow fever within six months of arrival. Mm -hmm. So uh, he was suddenly completely destitute. He had lost his father when he was just a child of a few years old. And then he had lost his mother at the age of nine. And then to lose your wife at the age of nine. And he later said, you know, if I hadn't lost my wife, I may never have been the liberator because he would have gone and he'd been, um, you know, minded his copper mines. He was a very wealthy man, an extraordinary uh, wealth, really one of the most wealthy families in, in all of Latin America. He would have minded his mines, his copper mines, his indigo fields, his sugar plantations, and his cocoa plantations, and he probably would have been, you know, just like everybody else. But losing all of these people whom he loved, he was galvanized in a way to do something with his life. One thing, of course, um, I, I say that he never married again, and that's true, but he had a lot of romantic liaisons, and, and as far as we can can uh, figure, uh, the, as historians have recorded, we know of 35, but we, oh we, we think there were a great deal more than that. But the 35, I mean, it's really it, quite fabulous stories, because every time he, he swept in, 
uh, with victory into a, a region or a town or a province, the uh, people would offer up their beautiful young daughters, and they would all dress up in white with, with ribbons and flowers in their hair, and then pull him along the road, you know, as horses would in Caesar's time. But these young girls, and they were all made available to him. He eventually had two very, very strong uh, mistresses, uh, Pepita Machado, who actually went into battle with him. Uh, the, the women and families were all taken into battle mm -hmm. with, with uh, the armies, uh, such as they were. And then later, he met the very naughty, beautiful, mm -hmm. and incredibly smart Manuela Sáenz, Ecuadorian woman, who was married to an Englishman in Lima, Peru, and um, fell madly in love with Bolivar and, you know, scandalously left her husband to, to, to join him and did follow him into the battlefield as well. The story is quite remarkable. No, it sounds like it. And I think it gives the, the book great momentum. There's a little bit for everyone in there. Indeed, yes. <laughs> I noticed that your approach for this biography was akin to what many biographers did in the 19th century. That is, they told the story as if they knew the subject personally. Was this a deliberate choice, and if so, why? Yeah, thank you. That's a very good question. I, I set out in this biography to try to write a book that I would want to read. And I have read, you know, there are 2,600 books on Bolivar in Correct. this library of Congress, this marvelous uh, institution. I didn't have to move from uh, my reading chair in the, in the main reading room to, uh, to write this book. Uh, there's a lot of material, but uh, so much of it tends to be either very academic, very good, very academic, mm -hmm. or else it um, tends to be very tendentious. There are a lot of people who love Bolivar too much mm -hmm. and a lot of people who hate him too much. Mm -hmm. And so there's a, lot of, uh, there, there's a lot of vitriol and a lot of hagiography afoot. Mm -hmm. And, and a lot of it is in Spanish, so there were two things here. I wanted to tell the story in English, and I wanted to tell it in the most colorful way, as if it were um, fiction, but every single word, as you can see, my, my notes section is almost 200 pages long Absolutely. in itself. So every time that he perspires, every time that he smiles, every time that his teeth are glinting, I'm taking it from the primary source material. But I did want to write something that was really colorful and that would actually read like a novel. You've certainly achieved that because for me, I really felt that it had a very good pace and it was, like you said, like a novel. And in fact, there were times at which I, I just wondered, you know, how you navigated through this sea of, of details because there was so much. Yes. Well, you know, the thing that's, well, that, that was really remarkable for me, Francisco, was that um, Simon Bolivar himself was such a wonderful writer. I actually do think he changed the, the Spanish language. He took it from a very sort of circuitous, uh, kind of burdensome, long sentence language and made it fresh and vivid. And you read his letters and they're very modern. And I think that there was a real shift uh, in writing with his work. And he was a wonderful writer and he, very expressive. So he would say things, you know, like he would, he would be very, very specific about his physical ailments and what he was feeling and who he liked and who he didn't and what the weather was like. Uh, of course, mm -hmm. weather is very important in military movements. So sure. that was, there was a, it was very rich on weather and uh, very interesting emotionally as well. He was very, very quick to, to talk about his emotions. So I was the beneficiary of all that good writing. Well, as I was 
you know, reading, I noticed that you mentioned Agustin de Iturbide, Mexico's first constitutional emperor. If you could highlight how these two figures who played a significant role in the independence of Latin America from Spanish rule, what would you say were the most significant differences between the two? You know, the uh, styles were very, very different. And uh, Bolivar was actually very critical of Iturbide because Iturbide was very, um, took on what Bolivar felt were these sort of robes of, of grandeur. Mm-hmm. Um, Bolivar himself, you know, liked glory a lot and uh, was very receptive to the worship that, you know, the public gave him. But he very resolutely refused the crown or any sort of uh, suggestion that he might be a monarch of, of any kind. This was suggested to him quite often, both by his friends and his foes. And at times he got so very tired of the whole process of being asked to take a throne and be a king and, you know, be like a, a monarchical power in Europe. And Iturbide was, you know, very lured by that, and very and uh, Bolivar was very critical of him for that. Mm-hmm. And I guess there are other iterations of that. I, I think early on there's a mention of, you know, first he was really taken by Napoleon, mm-hmm. and then when Napoleon becomes emperor, then he's totally disgusted with that. Exactly. In fact, Bolivar was in Italy at the moment when uh, when Napoleon actually put the crown uh, on his head. And, and he was there with his teacher and his friends. And he was, up, up until that point, very admiring of Napoleon because he thought, well, this is a man who has changed the course of history and who has changed a whole people and who actually is building institutions in the way that institutions should be built. But then that turn into uh, a crown and the ermine robes and all of that really, really uh, turned Bolivar off. And he became very critical of Napoleon. At the same time, I think, you know, he later said in his, in, when he was about 45 years old, he died at 47, uh, when he was about 45 and looking back at his life, he said, you know, I can't altogether dislike Napoleon. So he knew that even though uh, Napoleon had taken too much power, um, there was something quite wonderful about Napoleon to Bolivar. It's amazing how time and experience change our our perspective. (laughs) Indeed. What did you hope to gain from this project, and do you think you achieved it? I hoped to gain uh, readers in the sense that people would learn from this book what I said in in the very beginning, which is something about the way the Latin American character is made, was made. The hope was to actually uh, teach something very concrete in a very sort of uh, easy pill way, you know, the nice, brisk adventure story of one life uh, in which a lot of history and a lot of personality and a lot of work about the region gets done. And um, I've been very pleased with uh, the reviews because it seems that that's the way the book is being taken. So uh, I feel very honored and and privileged that um, people are reading it in that way. And I think that's a very nice segue for this next question. In the United States, it's very easy to paint all Latin Americans with a very broad brush and to overlook the diversity of cultures that exist in those spaces. Tell me about diversity in the time of Bolivar, and if you'd like, in South America today. 
Well, that is the great Latin American story, as you and I know, um, you being uh, Mexican origin and my being Peruvian origin. The story of Latin America is about race. I have, for 500 years, there has been race mixing, there has been race races bumping up against one another. In fact, when Bolivar went to prosecute the revolution, to try to engage people to the side of independence, he quickly realized that the only way that he could do that was to unite all the races. There were blacks, there were pardos, who are a combination of black and Indians, there were the indigenous, there were um, all manner of races and race mixing at the time. And there was this aristocratic white overlay. But when the revolution began, it was very white, and quickly Bolivar realized, by the time he was exiled twice and came back the third time, with the help of the president of Haiti, Alexander Petion, who said, you know, you really have to liberate the slaves, and that's the only way you're going to get uh, this revolution done. At the time, you know, it was just at the time when in the United States, slavery was probably the biggest gross national product afoot. The slave trade was huge just at that period between 1815 and 1824. And um, the founders uh, in the United States of America and the president and the Congress men in Washington were aghast that uh, Bolivar was actually engaging blacks in his oh, army. They thought that that was, you know, that was appalling. And so that's really why the United States of America never went to support the wars of independence in, in, in South America. But uh, Bolivar understood that if you did not engage the races, you would never, ever uh, be able to expel Spain. Um, so his armies were black, they were Indian, they were people barefoot with sticks. You know, it was a, it was a tremendous force, uh, really um, primitive militarily in every way, but they just, um, they, they did the job and they really scared the Spanish right out of the continent. <laughs> I really love the the energy that you feel with with the subject, and it's obvious. You know, the as you read through the book, you you really get a, a really good sense of the energy, and I'm glad to see it mm-hmm. in you as it, you. as I listen to you. I get pretty excited talking about um, it. No, I think it's an exciting subject. Thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners, if, if you could? Well, I'd like to uh, I'd like to say, you know, that in this country, the United States of America, in which we have such a strong presence of people of Latin American origin who are Americans today. You know, when I was a little girl in New Jersey, as you described, I went from from Peru to New Jersey at the age of nine. I went into a town, went into a school in which I was the only Hispanic. And the only Hispanics I saw were my brother and sister. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now New Jersey, of course, is teeming with Hispanics, particularly the, the area that I was in. And uh, the country is, you know, at this point, 22% Hispanic origin and 10% uh, people of Mexican origin. And I think, you know, if, if I can explain something about who we are, who Latin Americans are, who Hispanic Americans are, uh, that's all to the good. And that's what I hope people will find in this book. We've been hearing from the Peruvian-born American writer and editor, Maria Ronan who will appear at the Library of Congress National Book Festival on Saturday, September 21st, for a presentation from 12.45 to 1.30 p.m. 
A book signing and autograph session is scheduled to take place between 2.30 and 3.30 p.m. at the History and Biography Pavilion. Marie, thank you. Thank you so much, Francisco. Wonderful questions. This has been a presentation of the Library of Congress. Visit us at loc.gov.